0: Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of His Word. Now let's begin. Martin Luther said, uh, Any person that doesn't regard music as a good gift from God is a clodhopper. And he nailed it. God does reveal Himself through good music, and God also, even more explicitly, reveals Himself through His Word. Abram in Genesis 17, has now journeyed with God for 24 years. He longs to have many children and for his children to occupy the land west of the Jordan River. But the mark that he's hoped he would make in the world hasn't been made. He hasn't seen his dreams happen. Can you identify with that? Our reading this morning is in Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Please stand for a reading of God's Word. Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant that you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts to the division of bone and marrow, even soul and spirit, and it lays open the thoughts and the intentions of of our hearts. Let us pray. O Lord, you have made a people for yourself. You have sent a righteous lamb to die in our place. You have purchased a people for yourself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Would you speak to us, O Lord? Would you show us today who we truly are, who you see us to be? Would you make us today to think like your people to feel like your people, and to live like your people. Because you are our God, and we long for you to be glorified. Amen. You may be seated. In September of 2015, a rather unremarkable painting went up for auction in New Jersey. And the previous owners of this painting had passed away. Their adult children discovered the painting, abandoned in the basement of their parents' home. The painting was in a nineteenth century frame, and so they put it up for auction, thinking certainly this nineteenth century picture is going to win us maybe four or five hundred dollars at the auction block. But when the painting went up on the auction block, the room began to buzz. Because behind this nineteenth century frame and this dark cracked image lied all lay all the markings. Of Rembrandt van Rim. This painting had all the markings to suggest that this wasn't a 19th century painting. This belonged to the 16th century master painter, Rembrandt. And so somebody scrambled that day and was able to put together a little bit of money, and they walked out of there with a steal, getting the painting at $900,000. Just a few months later, they sold the painting again for $4 million. Not long after that, preservationists working on the painting discovered underneath the veneer the initials of Rembrandt himself. This truly is a masterpiece by the master painter dating from Rembrandt's late teenage years. And though this painting appears to be totally unremarkable, though it's aged and cracked and the canvas is falling apart, we would now say it has unimaginable value. Why? Because it's been marked by its maker. It's been marked by someone of unimaginable worth himself. In the same way, God marks his people. He says, this person is mine. They belong to me and they are of unimaginable value. Abram, he is now aged. He's cracking. He's beat up. He's rugged. He's worn down. And he has a dream that has gone unmet. The dream of Abram's life was that he would have many descendants and that they would become a nation in the land that we now call Israel, in Palestine. That's the dream of his life. But he's now 99 years old, and he doesn't have any children with his wife. And he also doesn't possess a square inch of the land that he dreams of, even though he's wandered in it for a quarter century. In life, sometimes the things that you long for most don't happen for you. It's easy to feel like the field mouse who has been diligent to dig her burrow only to have it turned over by a field plow. And though we all long to make our dent in the world, it more often feels like the world dents us and we're just brokenly trying to stagger along. And so the question that this text asks for Abram and the question that we ask ourselves today is, is there hope? Is there hope, even though the things that we've longed for and worked for haven't happened for us, is there hope that our lives are still of great worth? Is there hope that our work hasn't been in vain? Is there hope that our efforts are actually part of something bigger and more meaningful than we can possibly imagine? And the reason we ask this question so specifically is that inside every single one of you lies this suspicion that if I don't accomplish things of staggering importance, if I don't attain the things that I'm dreaming and working for, if I don't do something truly impressive, then I'm going to know I'm just some anonymous, unimportant Nobody unworthy of interest or attention or acceptance, and that terrifies you. But Genesis 17 has good news for your identity. Genesis 17 says you have marks on you behind that cracked, aged, beat up, rugged appearance that suggests you belong to somebody far greater than you could possibly imagine. You belong to somebody. Of Unimaginable worth And the marks that your maker makes on you The maker's marks on you Matter more than any mark that you make in this world And this passage also gives us Several of those marks Several of the ways that God marks people As belonging to him Saying this person is mine This person belongs to me First, you are marked with a condition And admission Look at verse 1 when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Now that is a terrifying verse. Right? If, if you're reading the Bible in your chair in the morning and you read, then the Lord appeared to him and said, I, be blameless. You're reading it wrong. It, the Lord appeared to him. <laughs> the Lord Supernatural, metaphysical stuff goes down, appeared to him, said to him, communicated to him, be blameless. That's scary. Because Abram knows himself, and you know yourself. And 12 verses before this, Abram is committing adultery. And 5 chapters earlier, Abram's lying. And 6 chapters before this, Abram's a full-blown Babylonian idolater. And God is showing up to a 99 year old. And by the way, as, age, as years go by, I realize, wow, I've got it less together than I thought I did. And I know there's time left. As you age, you begin to see your own shortcomings. God shows up to a 99 year old and says, "Try this one for size: be blameless." Verse three: Abram falls flat on his face. That's how Abram responds to. It. That's scary. God is saying there's some condition that must be met to be in a relationship with him. That's terrifying. Look at verse 2. Then, that's when, then, when this condition is met, then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now, that's scary. God's saying, here's the condition that has to be met. You have to be blameless. And it's worth noting, blameless here, blameless in the Old Testament, isn't the exact same thing as blameless the way the Apostle Paul uses it in the New Testament. This isn't a legal blameless. Blameless in the Old Testament is used to describe who Noah was. Noah was blameless. Job was blameless. It's to describe a person that's in a right relationship with the God of the covenant. That's in a right relationship with the covenant itself. God's agreement to interact with us. Blameless means a person who rightly interacts with God. But that's confusing. Because in Genesis 15, God made very clear to Abram that he was establishing an unconditional covenant with himself. God's saying, Abram, you're going to relate to me in a way that doesn't depend on your performance. I'm going to handle it. And here in Genesis 17, God's saying, there's a condition... To our unconditional relationship. That's confusing. So which is it? Does God have an unconditional loving relationship with which he operates towards his children? Or does God require all of his children to walk in a right relationship with himself? Which is it? Does God require you to walk in a right relationship with Himself, or does God have an unconditional relationship with those He loves? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, both. God's saying both. He's saying anybody that truly understands this unconditional relationship, this this condition that you have, that you need to be met, has actually been met. Jesus came and was righteous for you. Jesus was blameless for you. Jesus achieved righteousness for you, and yet suffered in your place... And therefore, you can come into an unconditional relationship with God. Any person that believes that would be so changed and so transformed that they would find themselves more and more walking in a right relationship with God. There is no way that you could really understand and believe that this God has done this for you and not pursue Him. Anyone that doesn't love Jesus... Anyone that doesn't pursue Jesus, anyone that doesn't fight to submit themselves to Jesus, probably doesn't know Jesus. Because he's irresistible. If you see him for who he really is, it will transform you. God is saying, Abram, I am so loving that I have chosen you and made you my own and I love you more than your sin loves you and I'm calling you out of it. Come be who you truly are. You are loved by me. Come be mine. Walk faithfully with me. Be blameless. Come be who you really are. And this doctrine, this truth that God has an unconditional relationship with those he loves and calls us to righteousness... That speaks into one of the reality TV scandals that keeps showing up on your news feed this summer. There's a former Miss Alabama who is now the bachelorette and she keeps being quoted on television as saying something along the lines of, I have sex with who I want, I do whatever, but I know that Jesus still loves me. Now, many of you probably have that kind of thought going on in your head. Many of you probably have children thinking that kind of thought. Or have friends or professing brothers and sisters in Christ that are thinking that kind of thought. But this truth allows us to lovingly and pastorally say to that kind of thinking, whether it's our own or someone else's, that's not how relationships work. Right? That's not how relationships work. You can't habitually disregard somebody's importance in your relationship with someone and say that you love them. God loves you So much that he calls you out of your sin into his own presence. He delivers you from the dominion of darkness into the presence of the beloved son. If you are marked with a love for him, a desire to pursue him, that is an evidence that he has made you his own. You are marked with admission first, the call to come but then you're transformed that you become more and more like him. And that's an evidence that you are marked with him. And the mark the maker makes on you matters more than any mark that you make in this world. You belong to him. You are his. Second, you are marked with a name and a claim. Look at verse 5. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, this, by the way, is a ridiculous name for a 99-year-old who's struggling to have children with his wife. As one man who used to mentor me in Virginia said, it's like Abram has been going by the name, Abram means big, or exalted father, and Abraham means something like exalted, father of a multitude, As my friend used to say, it's almost like Abram has had to introduce himself as Big Daddy. And, and like, hi, I'm Big Daddy, struggling to have kids, pray for me. And, And then, and then he, and then all of a sudden God shows up and says, try this one for size. Big Daddy O. That's your new name. Go introduce yourself as Big Daddy O. And Abram has to, Abraham has to now introduce himself this way. Abraham has to identify with this. And in the, in the Near East, it's not unusual for a change in name to mark a change in someone's circumstances or a change in someone's uh, job or rank. This is Abram's identity. He's now Big daddy Why is that? A man struggling to have children who doesn't yet own the land that, that he longs for, it has to go by Big daddy And it's because God sees on his people and speaks over his people Of an identity that they have not fully realized yet. God looks on Abram and he's not just seeing this guy struggling to get along in a land that doesn't belong to him. He's not just seeing a journeyer who's lived homelessly for two decades. God is looking on Abraham and seeing Father Abraham. He's seeing his entire plan. He's seeing everything that he intends to do in Abram's life. God sees and speaks over his people an identity that they have not yet Fully realized, and though Abram might feel beat up and he might feel like his dream hasn't come through and he hasn't gotten what he's been looking for, God speaks over Abram beautiful things that aren't yet true. In the Christian life, God speaks over you and claims over you things that are so beautiful they feel overstated. God looks on his people and he says, You're my beloved. God looks on his people and says, You are my saints. You're my holy ones. It doesn't feel like it. You you don't see it. This is how I see you. And he makes claims about you that are difficult to really believe. Verse 8, he says, The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession. And in the same way, God says to you, I have an everlasting possession for you. Try this on for size. This feels hyperbolic. This feels overstated. You will never die. You will have everlasting life. You are my beloved. The dwelling place of God, it's going to be with you. That's hard to believe. That feels overstated, but that's who you actually are. That's your identity. The call to follow Jesus isn't a call to get it together so that you can go and make something of yourself and make a dent in the world. The call to follow Jesus is this beckoning to come be who you actually are. Who I actually see you to be. You are my holy ones. Come. Come act like it. Where are my, where my girls at? Where's, uh, where are my Moana fans at? Claire Higginbotham? There we go. Remember when Moana gets to the end of her voyage and she like can't go on anymore? She, she just throws the heart back into the ocean. She can't go on in her voyage anymore. She's about to give up. It's just too hard, this calling on her life. What does her grandmother ask her? Her grandmother asks her, Who are you, Moana? And begins to remind herself, I'm a girl who loves my island. I'm a girl who loves the sea. I'm the descendant of the village king. I'm a descendant of voyagers who made their way across the world. And as Moana begins to remember who she really is, suddenly everything in her desires to take on this calling. She's remembered who she is, and she has the strength to go on. It's the same way in the Christian life. As you remember and meditate and think upon who you really are, it becomes irresistible to follow this God who has called you that. This God who's made you holy, who's purchased you, who says, I have purchased you at an unimaginable price, the cost of my own son. You now belong to me. It's a call to be who you really are. So what does the voice inside your head say about you? Does it speak about your relationship with God the way that a bride speaks about her groom? Does your brain tell you, I am, I am my beloved's. His desire is for me. Because that's who you really are. He has named you. And the mark made by him is bigger than any mark that you could make. It simply matters more. Third, you are marked with a seal and a meal. Look at verse 10. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. And it will be the sign, the sign of the covenant between me and and you, a covenant is a commit is a relationship with blood serious commitments, where you say here's what y- what I'm committed to do to you, here's what you're required and obliged to commit towards me, and it often has a sign, a physical picture of the spiritual or re- relational reality. So when God makes a covenant with Noah, He says, here's a sign, you can look to a physical sign, the rainbow, and remember the spiritual reality, I will never again flood the earth. God so wants Abraham and Abraham's descendants to remember who they really are, that he decides to mark them physically, to mark their bodies, so that no matter where they live, no matter how they live, and no matter how long they live, they would remember that God has staked his claim and made them his own. Now, in one sense, circumcision wasn't uncommon in the ancient world. Uh, Other ancient cultures like the Egyptians used circumcision. But in another sense, there's something unique going on here. God requires his people to be circumcised on the eighth day. Verse 12, for generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. Now, most ancient cultures, especially in the the region of the Arabian peoples, did circumcision between five years old and twelve years old. As some sort of marking into manhood. But God requires His people to be circumcised on the eighth day. Why the eighth day? What's special about that? In the Levitical law, you could not sacrifice a sheep before day eight. Before day eight, the child was considered so attached to its mother that it wasn't an individual yet. But on day eight, you set the child apart, and you say, "This is an individual." And God's saying, on the very day we recognize that an individual is an individual, recognize that that individual belongs to me. Your entire life, if you are God's people, he says, I want you physically marked as belonging to me. Now, what on earth does that have to do with following Jesus in the 21st century? Well, Colossians 2, verse 11 tells us. In Colossians 2, Paul says that God has circumcised you too. He has circumcised Christians too. He has marked you by two things by changing your heart and through, guess what it is, it's a physical sign baptism. In Colossians 2, God says he physically marks you by changing your heart and baptism. God physically marks his people as belonging to him. It's difficult to believe that there is a God who claims that you are his. It's difficult to believe that there is an invisible God who's committed to you, getting you physically through this life, caring for your soul and your body forevermore. So God says, I want you to have a tangible, physical picture of how real I am and how committed I am to you. I want every believer to be baptized, marked with water, and just like Abraham marked each one of his descendants, I want everyone marked who has the privilege, the gift, the gracious gift, Of getting to grow up in a Christian home. I want them baptized. I want them marked. God physically marks you saying, you belong to me. And he wants you to be so tangibly, so physically reminded of this so often, that he even gives you a second physical mark. The Lord's Supper. God physically calls you, his people, to the Lord's Supper. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, we eat real bread to remind ourselves that Jesus died in a real body. And we drink physical juice or wine to remind ourselves that Jesus died physically. He poured his blood out physically for us. And in doing so, we are marked in a way that says, you are mine, and we can look to these physical, tangible reminders to remember who God really says we are, who we are. When I was in seventh grade, I was perhaps the most highly Motivated member of the middle school basketball team, Thornburg Middle School. I was the 16th man on the team. I was clearly, obviously, physically the last guy to get in. There was a door frame. It had to be an 8 foot door. The, you know, 12, 13 year old boys would run out, smack the top of it as they were running out. By about the second game, I stopped jumping for it and just ran right under. I couldn't reach it. The favorite, my favorite part of the game was the pregame warm up. Is the only time coach let me handle the ball. He chose not to put me in because he liked winning. We flew around the court. We went into our tip drills. We went into our layup line. And the best part, we had cool warm-ups. We had cool shoot-around jerseys. And I got to wear one. I showed up on the team bus. I walked out on the court with the guys. I was wearing a shoot-around jersey just like everybody else. I belonged. I had a physical marking that I had to turn back in at the end of the season that I mattered. God has a physical marking that you do not have to turn in. That's going to be a part of your life until you're done. And it's the Lord's Supper. He says, these people are mine. Next week... We have Down Home Sunday. It's uh, the end of summer potluck and celebration here at First Presbyterian. Uh, For the potluck instructions, look in your bulletin before next week and you'll be ready to go. But it's a time when school-age families celebrate that they survived another summer break. We come together after the worship service. We have a potluck. We eat. We feast together. We celebrate. You belong there. And during the worship service of down home Sunday next week we take the Lord's supper. Where we physically remind ourselves that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to someone else. We are physically tangibly marked and the mark the maker makes on us matters more than any mark we make in the world. The start of a new school year, the start of a new professional year or you know the routine being reestablished, it's tempting to believe that that is about you finally getting it together and being as diligent and as organized as you wish you were last year, so that you can go out and make that impact on the world that you've just been waiting for. But you've got to remember, the mark that's made on you matters far more than any mark that you could make. So as we begin another year, we remind ourselves that we belong to him. We are of unimaginable worth. We are purchased persons we have been bought at a high price. Let's celebrate that identity that God has given us by reading the verse of the week together. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, at the bottom of the outline. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's pray. Lord, you have made your mark upon us. You have marked us as your people in baptism. And you have marked us as your possession in the Lord's Supper. Would these marks on us dominate our thinking? Help us remember who we truly are, that we belong both body and soul to our loving Savior, Jesus. And lead us to live for his glory. We pray this in his name. Amen.